I V M. Welcome to a bonus episode of This Round is on Me. We all find ourselves flooded with information about COVID and it's hard to sift through it to determine the truth from the fake forwards. Today, we're going to get the hard facts from a doctor on the ground, Dr. Pankaj Narvekar, who spent most of last year in charge of the NSCI Dome facility in which is Maharashtra state's first COVID center in Mumbai with the capacity to treat over 500 COVID patients. Since then, Dr. Narvikar has moved to the Podar Hospital in Worli. Dr. Narvikar, thank you for taking the time to join us today. Uh, before we get into the questions, Dr., can you take us through how you got involved with NSCI and what the last one year has been like for you? Sure, sure. So basically, my field is my qualification is in sports medicine. So while I was working with the weightlifters and the pandemic hit the country and the entire world there was a lot of appeal for doctors to step in and uh, work for covid work for people so i saw a lot of instagram posts and that's how uh, i came to know that you know i can work for uh, people of my city and my country so through that post i uh, joined uh, dr mufazil lakhdawala and his team in the beginning of pandemic in nsci Okay and what has this last one year been like for you It's been absolutely a roller coaster So since the pandemic is completely new covid was completely new for everyone we used to learn new things every day like from wearing a pp to removing a pp and then managing patients uh, looking at the patients suddenly collapse and uh, you know them getting better and uh, leaving the facility their tears and joy when they leave the facility right it was all amazing. so the idea of having you join us today yeah. is that um, you know is so that you can answer first mm-hmm. hand some of the basic questions that people have on the subject uh, because of course there's a lot of information going around um so let's begin with mm-hmm. testing can you please take us through the different types of tests and their efficacies sure so currently we have three types of testing one is rt pcr which is uh, also called as molecular test uh, which has the highest reliability in terms of uh, diagnosing covid and uh, which is widely used in our country as well as the world the second is a uh, rapid antigen um which is a very quick test in uh, diagnosing covid where you get the results in like 15 minutes 15 to 20 minutes but it is not really li- reliable where you know we have seen a lot of cases where they were not seen positive on rapid antigen but positive on rt pcr so yeah rt pcr is more reliable and there's a third there's this third one which is antibody test which is usually um seen significant after the covid infection okay so that is taken after yeah. uh, the infection you're saying correct correct okay and then there's of course the antibody test which is just again taken presumably i mean it can be taken any time but then it uh, shows whether you've likely had it or not correct correct absolutely 
Okay. So, I mean, between taking sort of the three tests or the antigen test as well, I mean, what is it that people should be taking if they um, if find themselves having symptoms? Um, or is it necessary to get tested if you find yourself having symptoms? Or is it safe to assume you have it um, and take the necessary precautions? So when do you need to get yourself tested and which test should you be taking? Correct. So it all depends on a lot of criteria. If someone has comorbidities, if the age is uh, towards larger side. So if someone has basic symptoms like loss of taste and loss of smell, and there's no breathing difficulty, no fever for a longer duration, uh, one must think about getting isolated because, uh, you know, there is a huge load currently in the labs uh, for the tests. So the reports usually take more than 24 hours these days, whereas the reports used to come eight in eight hours, within eight hours. Right. So, yeah, if, if there are, you know, literally the mild symptoms, one must go for isolation, home isolation, oh. preferably. Okay. And uh, so what you're saying is that if you, I mean, everyone knows what broadly now what the symptoms are. So if you find yourself Correct. having some of these symptoms, just quarantine and, uh, you know, write it yes. out for that 14 day period um, and Correct. don't rush to get a test uh, if you have. Correct the capacity to be isolated um, and right. then should you should you be and, and presumably if you have taken that 14 day um, quarantine period then and you feel fine and you know you you can see that mm-hmm. those symptoms are potentially going away then uh, again you don't you may not need to test at the end of that period is that correct 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 absolutely okay and so at what point should you consider hospitalization? You know, is it necessary to consult a GP or is calling the BMC helpline good enough? Uh, how do you kind of go about this if you do start seeing slightly more severe symptoms? And also, what are those severe symptoms? Right. So severe symptoms include, first of all, uh, reduced oxygen saturation, which is also called as uh, SpO2 which is, uh, you know, which, which you can simply see on a pulse oximeter device, which can be put on your finger. Anything, anything below 94% of uh, saturation of oxygen needs hospitalization. That means the saturation of oxygen in the blood is going down where the person will need oxygenation. So anything below 94, uh, you should visit a nearest uh, COVID center or you can call the BMC helpline or you can visit your GP as well. Okay. So I think right now what the BMC is advising is to call the helpline to know where you can visit, which is the nearest center and where, you know, there are. Uh, so, so so does that mean that you, you know, it's more about going to the center before necessarily admitting yourself into a hospital? Correct. So they will guide you with the symptoms and uh, the severe. They will, you know, assess you and uh, look at the symptoms and severity of it. And then depending on that, they will let you know if you need to get hospitalized or you can go for home quarantine and home isolation and uh, continue the treatment. Okay. So when you call the BMC helpline, the main information to have, of course, is, um, you know, what symptoms you're seeing as well as your um, SPO2 count, um, you know, taken through a pulse oximeter and your temperature, etc. Right. Okay. And... Right. You know, we've obviously been seeing a lot of messages of people asking for hospital beds. So 
what should um, someone do if the helpline is unable to help with finding a hospital bed at that time? So first of all, if uh, if a person has reduced oxygen saturation and if the bed is not available or the BMC helpline is not uh, able to help you, first of all, till you get any help, proning should be done. So proning is basically lying on your abdomen which uh, helps you in improving the saturation. Okay. This is basically lying on your stomach um, and, you know, for a certain amount of time or how long? Uh, At least 30 to 120 minutes. So basically we have a larger number of uh, lung tissues at the backside of the lungs. Right. So when you go into proning, the pressure on the lungs, uh, the pressure at the back of the lungs is reduced. And uh, the tissues get more oxygenation by that. Okay. And um, so at what point, you know, should someone be concerned about getting um, an oxygen cylinder? So I've been seeing messages, um, you know, on social media about people somehow managing to get a cylinder at home um, if they're unable to find a bed. And then comes the next step of knowing how to use it. So is this something that, you know, is a viable option? It is definitely a viable option. Oxygen cylinders or you get oxygen concentrators as well, which runs on electricity. Oxygen cylinders uh, have certain amount of liquid oxygen in it. Uh, and, um, you know, once it is completely consumed, it gets over. And uh, whereas oxygen concentrator will keep running till the time you have electricity. Okay. And it's a basic instrument which, uh, you know, everyone can keep it at home. So the basic things, there are two, three types of masks. And uh, the basic one is nasal cannula, which you might have seen a basic tube, which uh, which can be put in your nose. It helps you uh, deliver uh, two to five liters of oxygen effectively. And uh, it can be used at home. The safer uh, oxygen delivery at home is one when someone needs the flow of 2 to 5 liters uh, per minute. If anything goes beyond that and if someone is not able to maintain the saturation of 95 and beyond, even on oxygen, then they should consider hospitalization. Okay. And what you mentioned earlier is that if you're unable to get access to a cylinder till the time you reach the hospital, um, proning is the uh, best alternative. Yes, it's the best alternative. Okay. Um, Let's talk a little bit about the medication. You know, we've been seeing messages about people looking for remdesivir and various other medicines. Um, Right. What actually are the different types of medicines being used? And at what point does someone need to be actively obtaining these? Right. The, so basically, remdesivir is an antiviral medication, which is actually not approved by WHO since, uh, you know, the effectivity efficacy is not really observed in the clinical trials. But in India, it is approved by the state government as well, the state task force and the national task force as well for emergency users. It is an antiviral which helps you get the viral load down in your body. It helps in relieving the temperature, like getting the temperature down and improving the oxygen levels. Remdesivir is an antiviral medication, whereas vaccine, you know, it will help you prevent the complications of COVID. So, 
even when we uh, even someone when someone is hospitalized these medicines are used uh, even dolo is used if in case there's a fever so paracetamol helps you get down uh, the fever but antiviral is something which works on the virus inside the body so it helps you relieve the infection inside the body and are there various um, antivirals other than remdesivir because we've been seeing a uh, uh sort of requests for these um you know other medications as well on social media so there's one alternative uh, which is uh, favipiravir uh, which are which is a tap in which comes in a tablet form the only drawback with that is uh, someone needs to take a lot of tablets because the loading dose of that medication is uh, 1800 mg and then 900 mg for next 4 days so someone who is advised with favipiravir has to take nine tablets of 200 mg in the morning and nine tablets of 200 mg in the evening so it comes with uh, a lot of cons that you know someone may feel nauseatic and uh, dizzy after these medications right so yeah. at what point should someone uh, does someone need these because you know like you mentioned earlier if you have milder symptoms then you can self isolate and um, you know hopefully let the virus pass naturally um, right. so you know what medication should you be taking if you are self isolating should you not be taking anything only or only taking something if you have a fever um, and at what point do you need to be starting to sort of um consider taking something antiviral um yeah. and is this is this only after consultation with the gp or a hospital that you should be looking to take this right ideally these medications like ramdesivir and uh, favipiravir and certain steroids when these drugs are administered we have to monitor the blood sugar level and uh, temperature etc so ideally these should not be taken at home when someone is asymptomatic or mild symptomatic they can use the multivitamin protocol uh, which consists of uh, vitamin c vitamin d a multivitamin b complex and zinc tablets so these can be used as uh, it has no side effect until and some until unless someone is allergic to certain medication and if there's fever then uh, paracetamol 650 mg or 500 mg will help but again if the fever is not subsiding for longer duration like 3 to 4 days then one must take a um, consultation from the gp or they must visit the covid center okay and you've um, you know you've talked about uh, using blood thinners uh, is that um, can you explain that a little more correct yeah blood thinners are very essential uh, as you know in covid uh, it, it is seen that uh, people have uh, excessive blood clotting which can be lethal uh, in terms of if if they reach your lung tissues breathing can be affected if they reach your heart tissues the heart function can affect and if they reach your brain then it can cause a permanent damage in your brain so blood thinners help us in you know uh, avoid these blood clots uh, which is commonly seen in covid so there is enoxaparin which is uh, an injectable uh, blood thinner which is used and if someone is 
like really young, we can use uh, aspirin, uh, which is the but alternative again, for enoxaparin. Right. But again, these should only be taken under the administration or the Correct. guidance of a doctor. Correct. Supervision of the doctor. Right. Absolutely. Um, and just one last question on the medication part of it. Uh, you mm-hmm. mentioned multivitamins, uh, etc., being taken when you know your you have mild symptoms and you can self isolate. Uh, are these something that people should be taking just on a daily basis anyway, just to boost immunity? It'll be absolutely fine if they take it because uh, if you see, if you look at our diets, uh, we usually prefer eating outside a lot of times or ordering food from outside we don't really get a lot of nutrition vitamins uh, as per the requirement of the body to fight any disease or uh, you know when you need improvement in your immunity so definitely according to the required uh, daily advices we can take these medicines like uh, if you're talking about vitamin c then 1500 mg a day um is absolutely fine. Okay. Yeah. So for those who have had COVID now and, you know, want to, there's, a, there's sort of a lot of uh, requirement for plasma. Um, right. So, you know, for those who want to donate it, can you please take us through the do's and don'ts of that? Yeah, absolutely. So plasma is uh, something which is recently tried a lot in, you know, in, usually in severe cases when a person is on ventilator or in ICU. Uh, the plasma really helps uh, a lot of times, but it is not really seen to be, uh, you know, really very helpful. Uh, it has a lot of side effects as well, uh, because definitely the plasma which the which is administered in someone's body is is not part of that person's system. It is taken from someone else's. So there's a theory called as foreign body theory, uh, which damages more so it it should be done with caution so plasma is usually taken after 28 days of the infection Uh, if someone has got covid say on first of uh, april the person can donate uh, the plasma after 28 days that is after 28 Uh, it also comes with uh, you know precautions that they need to uh, check for the antibodies in the blood then only they can donate the plasma. Um, yeah. There's a, there are a few organizations that have um, been set up to receive plasma donations. So presumably that's just where people should be reaching out if they've had Absolutely. COVID and they feel that they can, um, that they want to donate. Uh, Absolutely. There are uh, a lot of organizations like NGOs who are uh, appealing people who were COVID positive previously for the donation of plasma. And um, yeah, it's absolutely, uh, you know, fine if we can try and help in any way possible to a person who might lose his or her life. Right. Um, let's talk a little bit more about the vaccine. Um, you know, of course, we want to encourage everyone to take the vaccine. Um, there are a lot of skeptics who have their reasons. Right. Uh, right. One concern that I've heard is that the vaccine requires a specific type of cold storage facility, which many vaccine centers are unlikely to be equipped with. And so there's some doubts and concerns about the effectiveness, effectiveness or quality of the vaccine. Can you shed any light on this? Yes, definitely. It uh, needs a proper cold storage. Uh, it needs a certain temperature where the vaccine is supposed to be stored. 
So uh, ideally, I would say it's it's my personal opinion. I won't say everyone should follow it, but uh, one should visit the government hospital since the uh, supply is large and uh, the vaccines are used frequently uh, since a lot of uh, people go for the government hospitals. So there are less chances that you the vaccine which you receive is not potent, is not you know, is not stored properly or not used properly since the vaccine keep on uh, uh, getting replenished once it gets over. Okay. So there's no concern about, uh, you know, regardless of where you are, whether it's in a big city or a small town, um, people should be concerned about the storage uh, facilities that uh, are being, um, you know, are being made available for the vaccine. Absolutely, no, because, you know, these people are trained uh, how to maintain the optimum temperature of that and government facilities are absolutely taking care that uh, the vaccine is properly maintained and delivered to each and every citizen of this country. Right. So uh, just to clarify about um, getting COVID once you've had the vaccine, can you still be a carrier of the virus even after you've taken it? Uh, so I would I would explain you in a different way. See, if someone has taken first shot of the vaccine, and then the person turns positive, it's absolutely fine. Uh, so what vaccine does is it avoids the complications which one might experience, uh, you know, uh, during the infection. Like for example. In, in is the effect of yes absolutely yeah absolutely so if someone who might you know land up in icu if you have vaccines definitely the complications will be less you might need oxygen but you'll recover quickly and go back home okay there's one more one more point which i would like to explain is uh you know once the vaccine is taken the first shot is taken if you want to take the second shot what you have to do is once your isolation is complete, you have to follow seven days home quarantine period. And once you're absolutely fine and asymptomatic, you can go and take your second shot as per the regular schedule. So what happens? Uh, second thing. It, sorry. I mean, what happens if you take it earlier? Say you're asymptomatic um, and you take it earlier. Is there any harm? Uh, no. The, the, the major concern behind that is you know, you can, you cannot go there and, you know, if possibly you are still in infectious period, you might go there and infect others who are there for vaccination. Got it. Yeah. And uh, there are a lot of concerns about, you know, if a person was never positive and uh, I mean, if person was never vaccinated, if a person is positive, when to take the vaccine. So ideally, once... Uh, a person is positive, he or she can take the vaccine after six to eight weeks from the date of first positive test. Right. And presumably, yeah. you hopefully have antibodies, which mean that Correct. you be protected for a little bit longer. Correct. Correct. Makes sense. Um, so I still have a question about the fact that a lot of people feel that after um, taking the vaccine, they won't get COVID. But that's a misconception. The, uh, the point is that you could still get it, but your symptoms will be a lot milder. And the reason I ask this is right. that um, you could still be uh, a carrier and therefore infect those around you uh, 
even after you've taken the vaccine. So while it might protect you better, um, it could still affect those around you who may not have been vaccinated yet. Is that correct? Absolutely right. Because you know what happens is if you're vaccinated, it'll protect your body. But if you're positive, if you're COVID infected during that period, you can definitely spread it to others who are not vaccinated. And uh, there are high chances that they might land up in a complication. So still what we advise is even after vaccination, you are supposed to use the masks. Right. Absolutely. Okay. And you you were saying something earlier, sorry, when I asked you um, the clarification question about the vaccine. So is there something else that you wanted to add on this? Yeah, I just wanted to add, there was a lot of skepticism that, you know, uh, people were like, that you get COVID positive when you, even if you're vaccinated, so you should not take the vaccine or, uh, you know, there are chances that, you know, you might die after the vaccination because there were few cases. So when you go for vaccination, uh, the person who provides you with the vaccine explains you all the aspects of vaccine and what to do and what not to do. So basically, there are certain medications which are supposed to be avoided when you're vaccinated, like diclofenac, which is commonly taken for pain. Uh, Instead of that, you can take uh, paracetamol, which is a painkiller. So it will avoid the complications after the vaccination. And definitely, I would advise everyone to get vaccinated because it is really essential to protect yourself and others, uh, you know, from the COVID complications. So that's the thing. It's uh, just, I mean, to be go back to that point, I think uh, what I'm understanding is that taking the vaccination protects you more than it protects others. Right. Makes sense. Okay. And also, um, you know, there's there's also a lot of questions out there about which vaccine to take. Um, You know, while I don't want to sort of necessarily, um, you know, ask you to get into comparing them, but is there there anything that people should be considering? Because of course, now there's talk about introducing um, some of the international vaccines as well. Uh, making those available locally. So, you know, is there, is, are they for all intents and purposes, you know, people can take whichever one they can get for the first dose? So both the vaccines, uh, which are currently available in India, Covishield and Covaxin, both, both are really effective and um, uh, they have really good efficacy. Um, the number of people who have received Covaxin is less as compared to uh, the COVID shield because of availability. Uh, sure. There's nothing like, you know, one vaccine is much, much better as compared to uh, the other vaccine. We need to get more uh, people vaccinated to get uh, a better statistical uh, data. So both the vaccines are really eff- effective and one should go and get vaccinated, whichever vaccine you get. Just follow the the duration between two vaccines and that should be it. Right. Um, Doctor, you know, we're hearing sort of news about a third wave or the fact that we've not yet seen the peak of the second wave, um, you know, which could hit five lakh cases a day and that, you know, the current number of ICU beds and medical staffing is inadequate for this. You know, is this right. sort of, is this true or, and and what more importantly can we do now so that we're better prepared to tackle what's coming. Right. So basically, 
uh, yes, it is absolutely true that we might get third third wave, and we are still into the second wave. Uh, recently, we we were experiencing really bad issues. I mean, in terms of shortage of oxygen, a shortage of ICU beds, uh, because of which uh, people have lost their lives. So the best advice which I can give to everyone is just follow the basic protocols. The the basic safety protocols that is maintaining social distancing, using masks, and uh, maintaining basic hand hygiene. Um, so that would certainly prevent uh, you know spreading the infections. If it is not really required, do not step out of the houses. Um, because I, whenever I uh, step out of my accommodation, go for work, I see a lot of youngsters roaming around without the masks and unnecessarily crowding at some places, which is really horrible. And uh, which in turn, uh, in turn uh, loads the healthcare system a lot. Okay. Uh, I I mean, I completely sort of understand. Is there anything else, uh, you know, any last words for our listeners? Doctor, anything else that we've not covered that you'd like to share? Um, yeah, I I would advise everyone to get vaccinated, follow the basic safety protocols, and that will help uh, everyone and especially the healthcare workers uh, to help the people who really need hospitalization and who really need uh, who really need the care and medication and everything. Uh, if you unnecessarily go out and crowd and you know spread the virus, it will be very difficult for us and it will be very difficult for our country to manage the situation. So these are the best, bestest things one can follow. Yeah, that is the the gist I want to explain you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, Doctor, on behalf of everyone tuning in, I just want to say a big, big thank you from the bottom of my heart for all the dedication and hard work um, in helping to fight this pandemic. And, you know, you're a true hero. And I'm grateful to you for everything you're doing. And once again, thank you for taking the time today to speak to me and clarify um, all these points. Thank you. Thank you so much for the opportunity as well. Thank you. I hope you found this episode helpful in clarifying any doubts you may have had. Just as a reminder, the COVID helpline number is 1916 and you can find your local war room number on Instagram at my underscore BMC. Thank you for tuning in. Stay safe and please get vaccinated if you're eligible.